Thank you for tuning in to the Excellence Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Hulse, president of ERG Executive Search, a nationwide executive search firm headquartered in Appleton, Wisconsin. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce an extraordinary guest who wears many hats, servant CEO, keynote speaker, author, and public board member. As the instrumental force behind an impressive $18 million turnaround at Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, he exemplifies the transformative power of leadership built on five core virtues, courage, humility, temperance, magnanimity, and perseverance. His compelling narrative is encapsulized in his acclaimed book, His Journey from the Boardroom, from Boxing Ring to Boardroom, Five Essential Virtues for Life and Leadership, which we're going to talk about later. He inspires many by providing a unique roadmap to success in his book. This guest doesn't just walk the walk. He instills his principles in others through his powerful keynote speeches and his board, being a board member serving the public. Get ready to embark on an enlightening journey of personal and professional trajectories as our as I welcome our guest, Hector Cologne. Welcome, Hector. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate you very much, and thanks for having me on your show today. Well, I'm excited. I, I have been watching you. I have to admit, I've been stalking you a little bit on LinkedIn ever since we became fellow Titans, and your, um, your engagement in the community and all of that has made me so impressed that I just knew I had to have you as a guest, so thank you for being willing to do this. So I did pick up a copy of your book, through Amazon. Um, and I started reading it over the weekend. And I got to tell you, I'm just fascinated by your journey. So I want to start in the beginning, because I think the beginning of your life, so created this foundation of who you ultimately became. So you had a very tough upbringing. I mean, I was so amazed at your story as I started reading it, you know, your family was a poor means you experienced a lot of discrimination and actually were a victim of bullying. Um, and you wrote this book talking about that journey early on. So I want to have you start with that, start with that story and how that created the sort of the foundation of who you became. Yeah. Uh, so my parents uh, both came from Puerto Rico and came here and, and, uh, you know, they had a lot of courage because they didn't know English. They didn't know exactly, you know, what, um, you know, at the time Milwaukee was like, but they came here uh, for opportunities. So it all starts with that courage from my, from my family to come here uh, from Puerto Rico. Uh, but then a major significant event that happened in my life when, when, was when I was bullied. Uh, by a young kid that didn't want people with the color of my skin in his neighborhood and called me a spick, uh, the N-word, hit me in the face. I came home with a bloody nose and my father asked what happened and I told him what happened. And long story short, he took me to the boxing gym so that he can learn, so I could learn how to defend myself. But that event really transformed my life because boxing actually saved my life and provided me with a structure, the dedication, determination, and discipline I needed to be successful in life. Well, and little did your father know you would become a champion. I mean, that was, that's, it, it's such a great story, and we're going to get into that. Let's talk about your role as president and CEO of Lutheran Social Services, which is um, 
you know, today, and that's how we met was through the Titan 100. So you have Wisconsin, Upper Michigan that you're the president and CEO of. Um, tell us more about Lutheran Social Services. I'm familiar with the organization just because we've done some not-for-profit work. And prior to your um, being president and CEO, we had done some searches for Lutheran Social Services. But for those that don't know the organization, share with, with our listeners what that organization does. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so this is a great organization that serves individuals that, uh, who have incredible odds stacked up against them a child in crisis who has nowhere to turn, a family in turmoil that might be facing eviction, uh, someone struggling with addiction or severe persistent mental illness, an elderly person or a person with a disability that needs just a little bit of help to live independently and successfully in their home, or that refugee that's fleeing from war and persecution. LSS has been providing these type of individuals with services for over 140 years. And we've been doing it um, with great uh, compassion and great results. Uh, over 95%, about last year, we served about 30,000 individuals, 95% of which indicate that we have improved their quality of life. And I often like to tell people that you know, we're really good stewards of the funds that are entrusted to us with 88 cents on a dollar going directly into client care, where the industry average can average anywhere from 65 to 75 cents uh, on the dollar. So that's a little bit about LSS. So I'm going to jump around a little bit in my questions because I thought this was so funny. So you were working with Health and Human Services in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you ended up at LSS. You are not Lutheran. You're not yeah. a pastor and you're not even Norwegian. <laughs> so I, I have to ask you, Hector, how did you end up as the president and CEO of Lutheran Social Services since that's kind of the the um, trajectory early on of that organization? Yeah, it's been a true blessing. So I was uh, tapped on the shoulder by the f- former board chair, John Howman. He says, uh, hey, everywhere I turn, people say I need to speak with you. I have this position as CEO at Lutheran Social Services. So we had, we met uh, for a glass of wine. It was supposed to be an hour. It ended up being a two-hour conversation. We He went home to his wife, who was upset because uh, he was late for dinner. And he tells me now that he told her, if this were my company, I would hire Hector on the spot. Unfortunately, it wasn't his company. I had to go through a a six and a half month process to get the job. And actually midway through the job, I was going to withdraw my name because I learned that I would be the first non-Lutheran, non-pastor, non-Norwegian. And I thought that there was no way in hell that they were going to hire me. But if I'm honest with myself, I was fearful of rejection. And so I spoke with the, the HR consultant and the board chair, and they said they really liked my experience they like my vision. They think I could be a great fit, but I had to go through the full process in order to be considered. I felt it was positive enough, so I said, okay, I'm gonna go through the process. So here I am, uh, many interviews, psychometric testing and uh, psychologists and the whole gamut. My last interview, I the bishop from La Crosse is there and he says, so Hector, uh, what do you think about Martin Luther? And so, oh my gosh, I thought, man, I've been doing so well. I feel so engaged with everybody. I feel like I'm getting this job. I'm so excited. 
And so I, I got really nervous, but I just spit back and I said, he was a great Catholic. What else can I tell you? Everybody laughed. What I got the job. <laughs> he was, everybody laughed. I got the job and I feel so blessed uh, to be here. So let's talk about your journey from that younger days of your father putting you into boxing and and you didn't start off according to the book you you didn't win several matches in the beginning and then of course you became a, a champion um, Olympic level boxer to to be exact um, you one of the quotes that I read in your book which was not your quote but but someone who had uh, been uh, uh, talked about your book was the sport of boxing a brutal sport for many of us provided you with a sense of direction and profound character development. So I thought that was really interesting. And I guess, how did that sort of humble beginnings of, of not winning and then becoming a winner really create who you are now as a keynote speaker, as a CEO and president of Lutheran Social Services and the population that you serve, which is a population that's trying to better their lives as well? How has all of that made you such a great leader of LSS? I think the first uh, and foremost is the virtue of courage. So that is the virtue where you face your fears. And when you're a boxer, I don't care who you are, Mike Tyson, Julio Cesar Chavez, or Hector Colon, you're going into that ring with fear. You're going into that ring with fear for fear of losing, fear of being humiliated, uh, even fear of dying. Uh, it's that dangerous of a sport. But the reason why you are willing to get into that ring is because you apply dedication, determination, and discipline that gives you confidence to get into that ring. And then there's nothing like having those hands raised in triumph uh, once you won because you know you worked so hard to achieve your goal. So I think that virtue of courage is the same virtue that has helped me in my life. You know, becoming a lobbyist uh, with no lobbying background um, and then becoming the director of economic development for WIDA, which is the Wisconsin Housing Economic Development Authority, mm -hmm. which at the time was the second largest bank by way of assets in the state of Wisconsin. I don't have an MBA. I don't have a finance background. I never worked in a bank. And yet I had the courage to step into these roles, you know, then working uh, at the Department of Health and Human Services, overseeing a hospital, uh, the juvenile justice system, uh, housing, and, um, and many other complex programs. So I was willing to have the courage to step into those very tough positions, but then apply the dedication, determination, and discipline to be successful. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I think about leadership in not-for-profit. And I'll, I'll share with you, our president CEO of United Way has been um, a speaker at a few of our events. And one of the things, and, and I love this because for me, courage is, is one of my most important values that I want to live by every day. And he said, everything begins with courage, the courage to love, the courage to trust. I mean, there's, and if you think about it, it is true. The foundation of everything that's important in our lives really starts with courage. So the fact that you learned that so early on, think of the impact. I mean, I, I know that 
you do it because it's who you are. But when I, when I continue to read about all the things you've done, the impact that you've made in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and, and quite frankly, in the world is truly impressive. I mean, and, and uh, I love the fact that you have those virtues that you talk about. So, um, honestly within your book. So you had a great, very successful boxing career. I mean, you won what seven national championships. You were on your way to the 92 Olympic trials. I mean, you were no small thing in boxing. I mean, you had, you had a wonderful career. So tell me about the moment you decided to leave boxing. You know, you had had significant success what was it that drew you away from boxing to a bigger purpose? Yeah, so it was in when I was in the Olympic trials, 1992, I was favored to go to the Olympics as a welterweight. I was 19 years old. I was so excited. I was already anticipating winning that gold medal and signing that multi-million dollar contract. And if I can be honest, I was not focused mind, body, and spirit for the most important opportunity of my life at that time. And I lost. And I was absolutely devastated. I was no longer going to go to Barcelona, Spain, or win that gold medal. And then I wasn't hearing those calls uh, from the multi-million dollar contracts. And I was hurting. And I was searching. And on December 27, 1992, I went to Holy Hill. I bought my first Bible. And uh, my life changed. I continued to box. And six months later, the guy that robbed me of my Olympic dreams, we fight again. And this time it was for the U.S. welterweight championship title. And it was on cable television. And this time I knocked him out in the first round uh, for the U.S. championship. The promoters came back and started and wanted to talk. But I put it through a year of prayer and discernment. And um, I felt a strong calling away from the sport. It was the hardest decision I ever made in my life because something that I worked so hard for was literally at the tip of my finger. Us young people that come from my, from my neighborhood, we wanted to become professional athletes. Uh, and I could have, I had the opportunity to do it, but I felt a strong calling in my soul uh, to leave the sport and to guide it, guide my passions, my energy, that dedication, determination, and discipline, the virtues that are in my book into a different aspect uh, and a different career. Do you regret that decision at all? <laughs> you know, I get that. I get that question a lot, um, you know, especially because I beat individuals like Vernon Forrest, who became a four-time champion, multimillionaire, I knocked out Jose Antonio Rivera, who became a three-time world champion. And I fought with some of the greatest who have ever graced the ring. And the answer is no. And I'm going to tell you why. You know, I'm on this group uh, chat with several individuals that uh, were from my era. Uh, many of them made millions and are broke. Uh, their health has been affected. Some have dementia. And... Um, you know, broken families. It's a rough sport. And so when I look at that, I, I feel very blessed uh, that who I am today, you know, I have a good career. I have a great family uh, and I have my, my, my brains at least just a little bit. Maybe it got affected a little bit. That's my excuse. Uh, but, but, but I feel very blessed and, and I'm very happy. 
Well, and, and I'm certain that um, God sent you to us so that you would not only bless the boxing ring, but you would bless our communities and, and our state and, and, you know, the United States with your gift of, of speaking and, and just the gift that you've given to the not-for-profits that you've touched. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're very inspiring as a servant leader. I mean, you know, I, I, again, mm-hmm. I've been watching and ever since, you know, my goal has been to meet as many Titans as I can. And you were one that just leapt off the page with your story. So you've really revolutionized the social services sector. Tell me more about the vision that you have and how do you, how, what is your approach to making sure that you continue to achieve it? Yeah, there's a a few points. I really am strong on making sure that individuals in our sector are paid commensurate to the value they provide society. You know, these are my colleagues here in, in my organization and other colleagues in other nonprofits. They work so hard and they're improving the health and well-being of so many. And sometimes they're, um, you know, uh, diverting costly services like emergency room visits that end up co- um, increasing healthcare costs and, and costing healthcare system lots of money. And we're getting individuals out of incarceration or, um, you know, through the criminal justice system. And we're getting individuals out of uh, sometimes we reduce the reliance on government services. So we are saving, you know, the government, Mm -hmm. healthcare and society, lots of money. And I believe very strongly and and ultimately, and most importantly, improving the lives of the people we serve. So I've been very vocal about trying to pay our, our colleagues commensurate to the value they provide. And organizations can do that Sometimes we have limitations. For example, uh, the government sector has really low reimbursement rates, Mm -hmm. Medicaid, low reimbursement rates. So we have some of those challenges. But I've been very vocal about making sure that we're doing as much as we can to pay our colleagues. That's one thing. Uh, Another thing is making sure that our programs and policies are advancing quick enough in order to address the true needs of the people we serve. And so individuals in our sector nowadays have very complex needs and it takes to for our practices to evolve um, as rapidly as possible to address those needs. And, and then lastly, to ensure the financial viability of our sector, not just making it, uh, many of organizations in our sector are, are failing. And so how do we ensure that we have a viable sector so that we can serve more individuals uh, in the decades to come. We've made an effort to really work with our not-for-profits. And I've always said that if the not-for-profit community is strong, the whole community is strong. And so I couldn't agree more that, you know, first of all, compensation does tend to be lower on the not-for-profit side, which is difficult because you need really strong skill sets. So it has to be someone who you know, up until this point has, has a heart for the work, not necessarily has to earn the income. So that's not always good because obviously the not-for-profit needs strong leadership. I did see you were just recently with Governor Evers. Is that, is that what you're working on as champion with Governor Evers to uh, make sure that, that the not-for-profit stays strong? 
Yeah, so he was recently on my podcast or not too long ago. And, and yeah, we, we brought it up uh, with him. You know, he has in this latest budget, uh, you know, it's his, uh, he says it's the budget of mental health. And so there's a lot of initiatives there that would be great uh, to improve the health and well being of our people. Uh, and hopefully the good reimbursement comes along with it to make sure we can pay our colleagues to do that good work. So I have to ask you about this turnaround, because even in a for-profit, that would be difficult. In a not-for-profit, I can't even imagine how difficult it was to, to do an $18 million turnaround of the deficit. So what were some of the pivotal strategies that you put into place to, to get LS, LSS on better footing? Yeah, so it was, a, it was many things that really um, resulted in, in the turnaround. So first and foremost, there were lots of changes on the board of directors. Uh, in fact, 85% of the board is new. Um, half are women, where before it was only like three. Uh, we had no diversity. Now we have three. Um, and we are moving towards a generative approach, meaning robust discussions versus mm -hmm all reporting and top down. So our, our board meetings are dynamic and very exciting. Uh, a lot of the C-suite members are new. Uh, we flattened the organization by over a million dollars. We divested of over $13 million worth of programs. Nonprofits don't do this. We love people, we wanna serve people. We wanna expand our services, not contract them. But by making this difficult decision, it allowed us to strategically grow by over 20 million in strategic areas where we operate with excellence. Um, we started a productivity initiative, increased our fundraising, uh, were better negotiators at, uh, for our rates. All of that contributed to millions uh, to the bottom line. So it's really all of those things um, that contributed to the turnaround. But none of this happens without talent, uh, without my leadership team, um, and without the colleagues uh, that are in the organization. So when I started at the organization, I started with five questions. What are the biggest challenges the organization is facing? Why are we facing those challenges? What are some of our biggest opportunities for growth? What do we need to do to leverage those opportunities? And if you were me, what would you focus your attention on? It really is the answers and insights to those questions that transform this organization. Well, and that's any organization could take those five questions and start the process of transformation. So those are wonderful. So one of the things that I think is so interesting about you and your leadership is it, it appears that you have this really nice balance of accountability and servant leadership which is extremely difficult to do, to hold people accountable, but yet have a really strong culture. Uh, how do you do that, Hector? What, what do you attribute your ability to do that to? Well, first of all, I wanna say that servant leadership and accountability are not in conflict. In fact, stewardship is a very important um, value that's embedded within servant leadership. So you have to be good stewards of the organization. You have to be good stewards for your colleagues. You have to be good stewards for the people you serve. 
your donors. Um, and so that's a lot of responsibility and accountability. So at servant leaders, it's also not a servant leadership approach if you're not paying your colleagues commensurate to the value you provide, they provide. Uh, before I got here, there were years where our colleagues didn't get raises. There weren't 403B contributions and bonuses. None of that existed. So servant leadership in its comprehensive nature is all about making sure that your focus is on your colleagues. How are they doing? You know, are, are you appreciating them? Are you acknowledging them? Are you paying them uh, commensurate uh, to the value they provide? And you can't do you can't do all of that unless you are responsible. You're you're a fiscal steward. You're making sure that the organization is viable. You just can't do it. So the, so um, I often say I, when I ask this question, accountability and servant leadership go hand in hand, they're not in conflict. Mm -hmm. So you are a first generation Puerto Rican American. So um, how did that shape your, especially at the two not-for-profits that you led, how did that shape your leadership style? Yeah, so I, I, I love Puerto Rico. I go back to Puerto Rico often. My father uh, left back to Puerto Rico when I was 12. In fact, I was just in Puerto Rico a few weeks ago. And, you know, here's what Puerto Rico, you know, I love the food. Uh, I love the culture. It's a very loving culture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I love people and it comes off my mouth very easily because that's how I grew up. We love each other. And, you know, another thing that uh, being a Puerto Rican that shaped my, my worldview is that in Puerto Rico, you are black, you are white, and you are brown. And maybe the majority are brown and, and kind of look like me, but we're all Puerto Ricans and we don't treat each other different uh, because of uh, the color of our skin. There's a pride in being Puerto Rican and, and, um, and it doesn't matter uh, the color of your skin. So I think that has influenced the way I approach uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And how I just deal with people in general. I love, I love you, no matter what. Um, so I think those are some of the things that um, you know, being Puerto Rican, uh, kind of influence who I am today. So you do keynote speaking. So you discuss the importance of courage, which we talked about, and overcoming fear with confidence. Um, when had first of all, when did you emulate that in your life? I mean, we've talked about some, and then. How do you call upon these virtues when you're out doing keynotes? Yeah. So, yeah, it starts with courage. And, and, and I talked about courage, about getting into the ring, about getting into these tough positions. But it's more comprehensive than just courage. Courage is about facing your fears. The next virtue that's in my keynote speech is, is humility. And humility is not about thinking less of yourself, but more of others, and when you do, when you have that focus, that's really about servant leadership. Transformational results will occur uh, for your colleagues and for yourself as well. Uh, the next virtue is temperance, and that's about self-control and restraint. Where encourage individuals do not react to a situation that could ruin your life, your soul, or your career. It's one of the harder virtues, by the mm -hmm. way, is temperance. Uh, the next one is magnanimity. 
And that's the virtue of striving for greatness, uh, giving it your very best. And I often say that you have to have the right daily habits, rituals, and routines in order to bring out that greatness. And this is not about the greatness greatness of you individually and all the benefits it's going to have for you. It's really about how it's going to impact those that surround you, allowing you to do something honorable and remarkable for others. And the last virtue is perseverance. And that's the virtue about not giving up. Uh, that's the virtue that I learned. I remember in boxing when, like you said earlier in my boxing career, I lost my few, uh, first two fights and my coach and I wanted to give up. And my coach was like, come on, champ, don't give up. Don't be a quitter. You got natural abilities. You can become a champion. Don't quit. Let's do this, champ. And it was that perseverance, that coach, you know, that encouraged me. And uh, I learned to, to fail and to learn from those failures. And more importantly, not to be afraid of those failures. Seems like you've, those had, are the you've had several mentors in your life that have really impacted Shorty being one, the, the coach. Um, and I, I, you know, I loved your, the story about him, but um, have you had other mentors along the way? It seems like that in reading that you've had people who have sort of grabbed you and said, brought you along and said, you can do this and we believe in you. Yeah, well, first I want to back up with my mom is is a huge mentor of mine, um, you know, seventh grade education, worked two and three jobs to support the family, uh, supported my sister who had severe persistent mental illness addiction, uh, was a case manager to her boyfriends who had similar uh, challenges. We served the hungry, the homeless, even though we were struggling ourselves. So I learned so much uh, from my mother. But I also had other great individuals, somebody like Ricardo Diaz, um, who has been a friend and a mentor and really believed in me uh, throughout my career and was behind my career, whether it be with when I went uh, to work for Mayor Barrett or Governor Jim Doyle or County Executive Chris Abley. Uh, you know, he was behind me 100% throughout that whole journey. And I appreciate him very much. Well, and I think... Um, having good mentors along the way just really help people to learn and and grow within their careers, obviously. So you talked very openly in your book about racial bullying. And I have no doubt that there will be some listeners that either are, could be currently ex experiencing that or have experienced that and, and it didn't have the kind of positive outcome that it did for you. So what advice would you give if we have a listener that is experiencing that? What advice would you give them? You know, I often share this story and it's in my book as well that I, I haven't seen Adam, uh, who was the bully, who bullied me since I was 15 years old. Uh, I have to admit, I did beat him up a couple of times after I learned how to box. I'm sorry. Um, but the more important part of the story is that we did be, end up becoming friends, mm -hmm. not the best of friends, but he stopped messing with me. We played baseball together and other sports together. But if I saw Adam today, I would hug him. I would tell him I love him and thank him because if it wasn't for Adam, where could my life have taken me? Could I have become addicted to uh, drugs like my sister or in jail or dead, like some of my friends uh, that grew up in my community. And so because of Adam, I rose from being a bullied young boy 
to the boxing champion, uh, to the boardroom. So I'm so thankful uh, to Adam. So I guess the message would be to try to figure out the positive aspect of the experience. And also it's very important to heal and forgive. Um, and that'll set you free. That's great advice. So you are on the U.S. Boxing Board. You're on the uh, University of Wisconsin Board of Regents. I mean, you have a lot of boards that you're involved in as well as your role currently, um, as well as the Titan 100 winner. So talk to me about that whole community service. Why do you do all of that? I know that you have a couple children. I mean, you've got a very busy life. So talk to me about how you balance all of that and still you know, maintain that everybody's talking about work-life balance. How do you maintain that? You know, it, it starts with my daily habits, rituals, and routines that, that honestly are very rigorous uh, because I'm trying to become a champion for my spouse, a champion uh, for my children, and a champion for my community. And in order to become a champion at anything, you have to have those daily habits, those rituals and routines, and that's that virtue of magnanimity. So I, you know, I have a prayerful life. Uh, I, I meditate, I work out, I try to eat well. Uh, I do a lot of reading. I do all of these things that make me a better husband, father, uh, and, and CEO. And I, I, but because I do all of that, and it is a rigorous plan of life. Uh, I know what not to get involved in, and I'm very, I'm very focused on on making sure I don't get distracted. Uh, and I have mentors and 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 coaches, and and my wife, who's probably my toughest coach, uh, will let me know when I'm strained, and uh, let me know when I gotta refocus. So I have tons of people, friends. Uh, that helped me along that journey to to make sure I can do everything that I do. And um, I'm just built that way too. Uh, I'm naturally feel like I'm gifted mm-hmm. uh, in that I can do a lot of things at once and do them all very well. Well, Hector, I, you know, nobody's perfect, right? But I think you are an amazing champion. And that's <laughs> one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast to share your story um, to share the book. I want to make sure that people uh, pick up this book. Again, it's uh, my journey from boxing ring to boardroom, the five essential virtues for life and leadership. It's a great book. Um, any last words of advice for our listeners? I mean, you're inspirational, motivational, all of that. Um, any last words of advice for a listener who maybe isn't feeling like they're on top of their game or maybe isn't um, feeling like that champion Anything that you would tell them um, that could be parting words for them to think about? Yeah, I would just like to summarize my virtues uh, just one more time. And I want to encourage you to face your fears and fight to do the right thing for yourself and for your others. And that's about that virtue of courage. Do not think less of yourself, but think more of others. And that's the virtue of humility, temperance. Control your natural impulses. Control situations that you cannot control. Do not react to a situation that could ruin your life, your soul, your career. It's not worth it. And magnanimity. Strive for excellence. 
have daily habits, rituals, and routines that are going to bring out the best in you. And in turn, it will have an impact on those that surround you. And perseverance is about not giving up. It's just like my coach Shorty used to say, don't give up, champ. That's what a fabulous, fabulous ending. Um, I hate that our time is up, but I will tell you, Hector, next time I'm in Milwaukee, you and I will meet. Um, I can't wait to meet you live. And um, tell us how people can find you. So what is the best way for people to find you if they would like to reach out to you? Yes. So if you're interested in my book or me as a keynote speaker, you can reach me at uh, HectorColongSpeaks.com. Again, HectorColongSpeaks.com. That'll get you to my website. Uh, you can purchase my book through my website or also through Amazon. There's a page on Amazon if you prefer to do that. And you can book me as your next speaker. If you're interested in learning more about Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, the organization that I love so much that I am the current CEO, uh, you can reach us at um, uh, lsswis.org. Hector, this was delightful, just mm-hmm. delightful. And I'm, I am i can't tell you how proud I am to be a fellow Titan 100 with you because um, if my career was anything close to yours, I would just be absolutely honored. So I look forward to us meeting live soon and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. It's been a pleasure to be with you here today. Take care.